could you just talk to us about the difference between liquidated damages and consequential damages? What is your advice to your clients, your many clients, with regards to damages? One of the things that you always see, or not always, but I see huge amounts of time, is that whatever that number is in the main contract just gets lifted and shifted 100% into the subcontract, even though the mm -hmm. subcontract is 5% of the overall or 10 or whatever. How do you, do you see that? I guess you do. And if you do, how do you react to that? What's your framework for response? So Hey, just quickly before we get started, we have a website called constructionsecrets.io. It's our website where we've got free training, free videos, free everything that you need to become a contractually savvy construction company. So basically sign better contracts with lower risk that you've got more of a chance of making more profits on your projects and ultimately stay in business over the long term. So go to constructionsecrets.io, consume all of that stuff and be a better construction company. And now let's get on the show. Hey, Construction Legends. So today we've got part two of my most recent interview with Paul Hemming on his podcast, Own the Build. We had two previous podcasts before. They went absolute berserk. So we tried to finish it with a trilogy. And in this episode, we talk about what you need to know practically about liquidated damages and consequential damages, how to practically negotiate your construction contracts so you look professional and reduce your risk at the same time. And we talk about war stories about these stupidest things people put into construction contracts that make absolutely no sense and they're still asking you to sign. Enjoy. Oh, you've been taking me back to hostile, hostile places, kid. I'm not sure if I can remove the image of that I've just put in my head of that QS shoeless picking a fight with my XPM. But um, we've been, we've gone back there, and we'll have to deal with it. What we wanted to focus on, and like the heart of this show, really is the difference between liquidated damages and consequential damages. Now, two different things with different implications and different meanings. And there's many things that we could talk about off the back of this. But firstly, to ground the conversation, Kian, could you just talk to us about the difference between liquidated damages and consequential damages? Okay, so firstly, damages. Let's talk about damages. When we talk about damages, we're putting the person who's been damaged back into the position that they would have been in if they haven't engaged you. That's the purpose of damages. So back in the day, before liquidated damages existed, every time you're on a construction project and you delayed the client, he or she or the it as a company would have to take you to court to get their money back. And that was expensive mm -hmm. for everybody, right? Because you are in the wrong, you still have to go to court, you have to pay for lawyers, they have to pay for lawyers, it's expensive. So they came up with this concept of liquidated damages, which is a pre-agreed amount of what it would cost mm -hmm. if you delayed them. That's what the term liquidated and that damages would be, means. And that would be like, so let's say it's a supermarket, the supermarket generates a thousand pounds of profit a day. The loss, if it wasn't open for a day, would be a thousand pounds or something like that, right? No, that's not right. Sorry to, to kind okay. of contract it. It is the cost of the construction. Okay. So you not being able to complete the work. And uh, let's let me explain. Let me explain. So imagine you've been asked to build a hotel, right? That's that's what you do. You're asked to build a hotel. This is a very fancy hotel. It has an umbrella over the whole top of the hotel, right? Because it doesn't want to get wet for mm -hmm. whatever reason. So you're engaged to build this building. As part of it, you are late, okay? You being late now in the construction only is going to cost your client because other contractors <coughs> are late. They're going to have to get paid standby time. All the other stuff is being delayed nonstop. So the cost of that mm -hmm. delay to the construction project 
is liquidated damages. You have to reimburse the client because because you're late in the construction, you like it's going to cost them more money. So that is that's the pre-agreed damages that's going to cost them. That's the first thing. The second is consequential damages. Consequential damages is the client not being able to rent out the hotel rooms because you're late. That's their loss of profit. So mm -hmm. consequential damages is a loss of profit. That's consequential damages. There's one more type of thing. So the umbrella over the top of all of that is your limitation of liability. Now, if you yeah. can cap your limitation of liability, you cap everything underneath it, which helps. Depends on that definition of the limitation of liability in your contract. If it's capped at the contract value or it's unlimited, that's very, very important. So what you're trying to do is for like, you're trying to minimize your liquidated damages. You want to cap them at a certain amount of the contract value. So ideally you want to cap it at five to 10% of the contract value. The consequential damages you yeah. never want to agree to full stop because the size of the company that you're dealing with, their loss of profit might be the size of your company. And then yeah. the overall blanket, which is the umbrella over the top is your limitation of liability. And you want to cap that at potentially the contract value or half of the contract value. So you cap all of the liability. Now, sometimes there's a carve out to say the consequential <coughs> damages is not included in your limitation of liability, but that's the general concept of the three different items and how they live. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, I'm wondering whether there is a slight difference between the technicalities or the legalese, if that's the right way of putting it, between where you're based in Australia and where I'm based in the UK in that what we tend to have is liquidated and ascertained damages, which is mm -hmm. kind of a combination of the liquidated and consequential that's damages. And, yep. and then we have loss and expense, which would be the consequence. Of, so the, the LADs would be, you know, my example, Tesco's, you're building that and it's late by a day and it's a thousand pounds every day or whatever, right? Yep. And then you'd yep. have the loss and expense, which would be the cost of the issues and impact through the construction. So I don't know whether that's just a little bit of nuance between the two, but I think we're talking very much the same language anyway. And what I think is really interesting is what you said about you never want to want to agree to that anyway, or you need to agree a cap or that limitation. I guess the question is, what is your advice to your clients, your many clients, with regards to damages? First, and most importantly for me, at tender stage, you receive an inquiry which says, this is the job, it's a million quid, and you know, damages are X. What's your response to that? Okay, so the three of those things that I said, right? So mm. the terminology is potentially is potentially different, um, it's, yeah, but it's the same thing in the US or whatever, right? So mm -hmm. let's just I'll try and, and distill it into simpler terms. We know from our benchmarks from doing this all around the world, what is reasonable is about 1% per day. That's a reasonable amount for liquidated okay. damage. That's, that's for delaying them on a product. That's reasonable. 1% of your contract value. 1% of your contract value per day. Okay. That's reasonable. Less is better, obviously, of course. And what we want to do is once we see it, you're going to have an opportunity to prepare a departure list against what you disagree with. So we want to look at those three things, liquidated damages, consequential damages, or liquidated damages, loss of profit and limitation of liability. Mm -hmm. They're your three, three yeah, key yeah. things. We want to cap the liquidated damages, which is the cost to reimburse the clients for them being late in construction. We want to cap that at 10% of the contract value and it to be a minimum of 1% per day. That's what we know is reasonable. You can go back to the client and we go, the industry average is 1% per day capped at 10%. If it's not capped, you really want to cap it because if the contract blows out by a long, long way, you don't want to be getting hit with liquidated damages mm -hmm. forever, right? You're a quick way to go out of, out of business. So that's the first one. The loss of profit, their loss of profit, you just don't want to take that full stop. You say, it is a commercial principle of ours that we don't agree to loss of profit. And you can blame your insurance company, you can blame whoever, it doesn't matter. But again, it's not reasonable for them to do that 
to you anyway. And so they'll be... Well, be everyone else is signing up to it, retort. though. You're not going to win the job. Yeah, it's a pretty reasonable retort. And we go, well, we don't. It's our commercial principle not to. We never do. And, and ultimately, they might come back to you with carve-outs to say, okay, as long as it's not willful misconduct, as long as it's not negligent or wh whatever, and there are things that you potentially agree to. Okay, okay. so, so, that, and, so it's your point of principle to say no, yep. and then they can either go somewhere else or if they're not minded to do that because they want to work with you, then they would say, okay, well, look, like we'll carve out a slightly more defined way. And to you, that then is a dramatically reduced risk. Yep. And then the other one is you're limiting your liability. And so just so you know, if your contract is silent on limitation of liability, what it means is it means it's unlimited. So we want to get something into the contract right. to limit the liability. That's an important thing. And as we're saying this, I know it seems reasonably complicated, but it, it actually is very simple. Like we, our statistics over having almost done 4,000 of these contract reviews in the last five <coughs> years is 82% of what we put forward gets agreed. And I'm not saying that to like bolster like, you know, how good we are, although, although we're pretty good, right? <laughs> but I'm saying it so you realize that you can negotiate. So we'll get back to the pod in two seconds. And so if you're getting some value from this or you're enjoying it and you think there's other people in the construction industry that would also, please just use your thumb, share it with them on WhatsApp or whatever uh, way that you share these type of things, Facebook, whatever it happens to be. Um, it makes a huge difference to the podcast. It allows us to grow and impact more people. And we really, really appreciate it. Thanks. They're expecting you to negotiate. That's the game. Yeah. They're giving you their, excuse my friends, they're giving you their shittiest contract, expecting you to negotiate. They have it goes back to that for everything. first principle, right, of what you said of, you know, they had all of these companies come and say, if you want to manage, if you want to be successful, you've got to pass the risk down. Here's tier one. It's the perfect contract. It's the worst one for the contractor below you. Here's tier two. If they can't, if you can't agree that, then agree this. And here's tier three. Yeah. If you can't agree that, then agree this, right? Exactly what you're saying. That's it. Exactly. They have backup things for everyone and so by not playing the game you're putting yourself at a severe disadvantage and you've just kind of proven it right by we I, I gave you i said you have to sign it and you said no we don't sign it and then you said instantly okay well we'll carve it out and there's there's this option and there's this option because you've seen it so many times yourself that you know what they're going to come back with and come back with so that's why you i think that in in part kian is at times the problem for some of the contractors they've never gone through the process mm -hmm. or, or they've gone through the process so sporadic or in such an ad hoc way once every six months or whatever that it doesn't ingrain whereas you've just said we've done 4,000 of these we do them all day every day and therefore you must be, you must almost roll your eyes when you see something yeah 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 okay so I'm going to say this and they're going to give me that then I'm going to say this and then they're going to give me that and that is the culture and the process you've just got to be aware of it right 100% I mean literally half an hour before we jumped on, on this podcast I was chatting to a client and he's a scaffolding company and they want him to to sign up to a defects liability period <laughs> right and most people would then sign up to it and then what ends up happening he's not getting his retention or security back for 12 months for no reason whatsoever there's nothing there's no defects he takes all the scaffolding off-site when he's mad finished, isn't it is an imaginary scaffold that something can go wrong in you know afterwards and so i have to admit kid i have to admit that at the very start of my career it was the second project i ever won I ever managed, I was procuring a scaffold package and in the inquiry, I put in there retention and DLP and I got told I was an absolute muppet and I never did it again. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Good way to learn. Good way to learn. <laughs>
<laughs> indeed, indeed. And so one of the things that I think it's happens quite a lot I have seen is that, you know, a, the employer's contract will have a certain portion of damages or a certain level of damages, right? Which, whether limited or, or not by the main contractor, it is what it is. One of the things that you always see, or not always, but I see huge amounts of time, is that whatever that number is in the main contract just gets lifted and shifted 100% into the subcontract, even though the mm-hmm. subcontract is 5% of the overall or 10 or whatever percent of the overall package. That's something I saw a huge amount as always a talking point we had our points of reference around that how do you do you see that i guess you do and if you do how do you react to that what's your framework for response so so lds are a genuine pre-estimate of the costs mm-hmm. right so what you've described is not a genuine pre-estimate they've just lifted it from the main contract okay. and given it to you so it doesn't the figure yeah. that they're giving you isn't a genuine pre-estimate it's not how much the damages that they'll be hit with i'll give you an interesting example actually and this one is tricky from all sides but you can see you can see the argument, right? So this particular company was producing this a concrete mattress, an underwater, like a it's on the sea, basically. A concrete mattress, I think mm-hmm. it was for a reef, like a, a man-made reef sort of thing. Okay. And so the client's LDs were based on, if you're late, we're renting this vessel, right, which costs us 20 grand a day to rent a vessel. And if you're late, then that's going to be our cost. Essentially, that's it. And so what ended up happening in the contract was they were late in producing that mattress, However, what was also late was the vessel. And so they actually hadn't been impacted with the damages that they said they would be impacted with, yeah. if that makes sense. So they didn't incur those damages. So there was an argument over, they're saying, well, you agreed to this amount. And they're saying, well, you didn't actually get hit with any damages. That was an interesting It was stupid to, though, to isn't it? Because that's... With here in the UK, with LADs, in a sim- similar example, that 20 grand, you couldn't charge for it unless you had incurred it, right? That's like a, a fact of law. However, the amount of times where you'd receive it, say, yeah, there you go, and you'd say, you, you prove that you've incurred that. And they're like, well, we can't yet, but we're being threatened with it. And then it's just sat there on your final account as a number deducting mm-hmm. a- against your... And you kind of are put in this point position where you're like, well, I want to get out of this job because it's been hell or whatever i don't want to stick around for those lds lads whatever you want to call them to eventually land but they may never land and if they never land they can never be taken away but the the fact that they are there in your contract creates an environment where your final account can be tampered with and it's point of principle it's like something that can be used and so often at the negotiation stage for me you would hear yeah but you can only tell you LEDs if we actually suffer them and you know we'd have to prove that to you so it's standard just leave it in it's absolutely fine it's very unlikely to happen and then when you get to that point it's like yeah well we haven't necessarily incurred them yet but they're on our final account and it's it's a thing that you're being hammered for so it's so important isn't it yeah and if I was to summarize contract management 101 to make it as simple as possible is that your final account your last couple of invoices payment applications are where it all goes down everything happens yeah what typically happens you'll see this as well nine times out of ten you think it's all going well and then your last your final account is like well actually you're late 20 days right and you're like no mm. not no, you're late 20 so we're going to hit you 20 days where the liquidated damages and then you're like no and then you have an agreement and then you end up coming out you know meeting them in the middle and coming out with half of the money that you expected to get so that 
that's what happens most <clears throat> of the time. And so all you have to do very simply is prepare a body of evidence contractually with letters and with notices so that when that does happen, you're like, oh, well, here's my body What of about evidence. this, this, and this? What, what yeah. about this? That's simple, right? And then typically when you are on top of your paperwork through the contract, that doesn't happen because they look at you and go, oh, these guys are on top of it. They know what they're doing. Oh, but look at else. Jerry over there. We can go after those guys who haven't been doing their notices. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah 100%. Okay, so I mean, I think there's some significant takeaways there with regards to limitation of liability, thinking about it at tender stage, thinking about it throughout the life cycle of the contract there. We've come to the end of the show, Kian. As always, the hat trick has delivered. It's been another amazing show, covered quite a lot. You've taken me back to some dark places, which I didn't want to go, but here dark we smelly, are, you did Dark, it. smelly places, <laughs> by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yes, indeed. But I think, and I'm sure, because... You know, just reflecting on that, you know, I've taken away that grow framework myself that I'm going to think about and potentially utilizing meetings moving forward as well. Thank you for coming on the show. I'll leave all of your details in the show notes as always. And I guess I'll speak to you soon, mate. You too. Chat again. Cheers, mate.